0: Welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Thanks for listening. As you can tell from the title, uh, well, first off, related to the title, uh, happy belated birthday to Jason. What's the thank you? Big big four o. Big four o. Four o. And also, happy early birthday to Tom. In, in in a week right Tom? Yep. Yep. Yes. And he's turning 40. So in light of uh two of our co-hosts turning 40, we wanted to do an episode on just a just midlife crises uh maybe maybe this will be therapeutic for all of us, especially Tom and Jason. So we're going to get into that. But before we do a couple questions in the mailbag just to get started. Um first is this one question we got that uh, this will be interesting. How do you know if a dream or longing that you have is from God or just your own selfish ambition. And any thoughts on that?
1: All right. We were just talking about that in this prayer group that um, I'm a part of. And someone was mentioning when they pray, they could like sense like the Lord was speaking to them. And I think someone else mentioned like, how do you know it's not the devil? (laughs) And like we had this conversation about like how to discern if it's like the devil or is it the flesh or is it the Lord? I think we all came to the conclusion like oh when you're when you're in the scriptures and you can you're familiar with god's voice through the scriptures you can become more familiar with god's voice when he's speaking to you in prayer and i feel like that's like a very true thing like how familiar are you with god's voice and then you could better discern if it's the lord speaking or maybe it's your flesh or the devil so i think that's more key like the foundation of of familiar to God's voice versus maybe in that moment discerning at the time. So
2: I also think um you know I, I'm assuming that, you know, even our purest like prayer, like what we perceive to be our purest ambitions are still tainted um with sin. Um and so I you know I it's it's probably that there is a mixture um, all the time, but I do think one good, lip, help helpful litmus test when it comes to you know decisions that you make and wondering whether or not this is godly ambition or personal amb- or selfish ambition. I do think you often have to look at the fruit um, of some of those decisions. Some of those decisions we actually just preached um, on the Tower of Babel, and mm. you know it was in. It's interesting, right? Because in that story, um, the people say let's build a city for ourselves with tower that reaches to the heavens to make a name for ourselves. Right. And, um, in the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram and he says, I will make your name great, you know? And so it's, I think what that shows us is that, um, I think a lot of times we think that God wants to squash our ambition. Um, but, When God says, I will make your name great. He says, so that you can be a blessing to others, you know, and I, and I do think that's kind of a question we have to ask ourselves a lot, you know, is what I'm doing right now to build my own kingdom, to build my name, or is what I'm doing, um, for the benefit of someone else or others, or to embody Jesus to others. Um, and then what is what are the fruits of that decision? Is it more peace, joy? Is it the fruit of the spirit? More peace, joy, love? Um, or is it more anxiety, more stress? Um, I think these are helpful uh, tools that we can kind of run down whenever we make a decision like that.
0: This is a good question uh, with just our current time and, and everything happening scandalous, uh, scandal-wise just in the church. Someone asked, uh, what are your thoughts on opposite sex, opposite sex boundaries? For those in pastoral ministry.
1: And we all all three of us have females in our staff. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You have the most females on your staff, Jason. Do you have do you treat them differently or interact with them differently than the males?
2: No, I mean one of the things I will say is I'm I'm gonna start by saying this. I do think we've approached um, historically, we've approached this issue um really poorly. Who's we? You mean like Christians, Christians in general and pastors in general. Um, I've heard a lot of different pastors talk about, and this is no judgment on um, those that have different rules. Like I've heard, you know, the Billy Graham rule, you know, you always, uh, you know, take your wife with you. Um, you know, uh, when you meet with any person of the opposite sex in your church, all of these things. Um, I do think a lot of the ways that we frame this um, discussion like paints like females as like the temptress and as the as people that could like be a source of temptation um to the usually the male pastor and so i already i think that kind of framework is um off but i remember hearing um something that i thought uh, like a helpful paradigm that i try to um i think that in the back of my mind, it's there. And it was like three S's. I think it was sibling, secret, and there was one more, one more S. But it was like, basically you, everything that you do, like it's something that you would do like with us like you would treat them like your actual sibling. Okay. Um, two is there would be no secrets that you would share with this person that you wouldn't share um, with your own wife. Um, and then that third S, I'm trying to remember that third it's S. It's probably the
1: most important one too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I think it I, okay, I, I could be making this up and this could be just alliteration, but I think it was screen. And I think it was – you would be okay with your interactions with that person being broadcast on a screen. Hmm. Oh, that's I like that. I actually nice. like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that might I might have butchered that paradigm, but actually, as I said it, I was like, "Oh, it's not bad. Yeah, that, sounds, that sounds good." Just
0: say it's your paradigm now. Yeah, it's <laughs> three yeah, it's three S's from Jason. No, I think that's helpful. So hopefully, that helps answer that question. Um, another interesting question. This is more circumstantial. Any advice for an EM that just separated from the cam? Things that we should do immediately, things that we should do, uh, things that we should take our time in.
1: The only thing I could think of is like by meeting at a independent, non-churchy site alone will make the church just feel super different. Mm. And so you're gonna just have a major culture shock where you're meeting at a non-Asian church building You're not going to see the parents anymore. you're not going to smell like kimchi and all that stuff in the kitchen. It's going to feel different. Um, But I also know like you're going to still have like vestiges of that past where people want to stick around on campus. They want to play like football after church and so forth. So I do think there's like that tension of like there's a new culture, but there's also vestiges of the old culture that people are used to with the church. And because you're with the same people. So I think just dealing with that tension, it's going to be there. I'm not sure exactly what to do with that. But I do think it feels like it will be different than just planting a church with people from an, like a clean slate. Like there's mm-hmm. like a history that's there that you just have to consider that you have to both honor, but also you want to acknowledge like it's a different, you're trying to do something different too. Hope that helps.
0: Last two questions. This is more just relevant to what's going on. Uh, one, first is this, uh, Andy Stanley had a, I don't know if you guys, you guys probably know, but to the listeners that don't, um, at his church, huge church, I believe his church is called North Point, right? Am I mistaken? Yeah, North Point. Uh, probably uh, at least in the evangelical world, the, one of the biggest uh, churches and also voices out there, uh, had a conference recently called the Unconditional Conference, which mainly, from what I read, centered on ministering to parents. Uh, of children that were in the church as families uh, that identified as LGBTQ+. So there's a lot of Twitter X uh, dialogue. Um, this person was asking, what are our thoughts on this whole Andy Stanley controversy and as listeners or as church members, should we even care? So any, I, I don't know how familiar you guys are with everything or up to date, but any thoughts on that and Yeah,
1: should church members care? I think I have more questions than like thoughts. Um, Like, I I completely understand the controversy and the thing, the content that came out. Like, I get why, especially the more conservative side, could be bothered by that or question, like, what's happening with Andy Stanley? Is that wise? Uh, But I also, I do, I kind of also understand what Andy Stanley's trying to do like you it's almost like there's two options that's been laid out it's either your church that's affirming or your church that's non-affirming and so what that means is if you're non-affirming it's almost like as a parent you have like this dysfunctional relationship with your child mm. and I, I feel like Andy Stanley he's in a different context than us where he's like one of the largest mega churches in the country that he's pastoring and so he's facing this way more in real life than in theory, like Al Moller, when he wrote his article about it, it's like, well, you know, Al Moller, he's coming from a completely different context. I think where Stanley's dealing with. And so there's a part of me that's like, I don't know if I really like the way Andy Stanley did it. It's just from his platform and the way he went about it. It feels very confusing. I think for the people who don't understand his context mm. at the same time, Like you have to like deal with that question though. Like, what do you do if you have a married couple of this who are same sex and they have children and they come to your church, you don't like what Andy Stanley's doing, but what would you do? Are you going to tell them like, well, yeah, you just have to make sure like preach to them. And it's like this distant relationship with your child. And if you don't want that, well, what's your solution? And I think that's actually not, uh, I haven't really seen a good answer to that, to be honest. And so except affirm. And so I think Stanley's trying to do this like third way thing. And again, I'm not sure if I like the way Andy Stanley's doing it, but I do think he is presenting a question that we all have to deal with, which is if this faces your church, what do you do? What is the gracious, loving way to do it while still staying orthodox? So I think Andy Stanley is answering the question first before all of us, we don't like his answer. But it's because we haven't faced the question in real life yet for us. So I'm actually curious how it's how we're going to respond when it hits our churches, which you think it will sooner or later. Oh, for sure. I mean, the trends of the generations with like Gen Z and our kids, like a hundred percent, it's going to hit us. And I don't know what our answer is going to be. I'd want to see a good answer. uh, And I just know what that is yet. Mm. So, Jason, anything to add?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree that um, people should care because this is um, a conversation that I think is only going to grow. And for a lot of people, I think the reason why their churches haven't dealt with it is because, frankly speaking, I don't know that churches are often safe spaces for people to even have these conversations and ask these questions. Um, There are clearly... um, People who probably identify uh, as LGBTQ in your congregations that many pastors don't even know um, about because they're not even sure if they can have that conversation in the church. And so, I, I I will say that I am thankful that someone is someone was brave enough to at least open that conversation so that we can all have this very necessary conversation. I actually sent a link to um, Andy, the, the Andy Stanley video that's now making its rounds where he responds and he kind of gives context to the Unconditional Conference and he responds to a lot of his critics. Um, I think he did it um, at a Sunday gathering um, last week. And I sent it to our staff and we're going to have like a conversation about it at our staff meeting this coming Tuesday. And so I'm, I'm really interested to, to hear what um, how our staff members received it and what they think about it. I've actually been reading a lot of different responses to his um, uh, talk, and you know the, the responses have been varied, and I, I can kind of see what everyone's saying, but I agree with Tom. I think both sides are arguing for certain things. They're either poking holes in it or saying Andy Stanley did a great job, but nobody's really offering anything more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's at the very least, it's good to start having this conversation because I do think churches are gonna have to wrestle with that question. Mm. Great,
0: great. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I haven't been able to listen to any of that or read up, so I don't have much thoughts. But I do think to Tom's point, this conversation is very needed. And to a friend that told me this, I often think the people controlling these answers to these questions, don't have to live it out like we do in California, uh, you know, in the Bay Area, in LA, in the OC. That is just very different. You know, I, I'm i going to be honest. Al Mohler, I don't think he has to worry too much about parents with LGBTQ kids, like coming into his ministry. Just, I, I don't think so. I don't think they'd be going there. Um, But I think at our churches, to Tom's point, we will, we'll have to face that. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But last weekend... In Israel, Hamas uh, invaded Israel, basically declared war. So, I mean, we've already, in the start of our podcast, seen two wars now have to go through all this. But yeah, I guess for all three of us, um, any thoughts? Like, uh, Did you guys talk about it on Sunday about what happened? And any other thoughts to add personally
1: to the conflict? I feel like I'd want to understand it more. I mean, I, obviously, the what's happening right now like should not be affirmed and I don't you know when people are saying this is just like those who are being oppressed like responding back and so forth like well regardless of what the the reasoning the results is terrible and I don't think anyone could approve of that but I also know there's like this deep history with the land and what the battle is about between the Palestinians and in israel and so i don't know enough of the history where i can say with confidence oh this is what i think and so i'd actually would want to do more research um a, but the only thing i could say is from the images it seems horrible and um but yeah it makes me actually want to look more into it and understand the context better i
0: think i answers all three of us uh but Yeah, hope that's helpful. If you have any questions, again, DM us anytime uh, at our Instagram. And also, we have a story up uh, for our mailbag, usually the Friday before our episodes record and drop. But today, uh, we wanted to get into just how Jason and Tom are doing uh, if they are in a midlife crisis, uh, if it's affecting their churches. But on a bigger scope, um, I, I, I think it's an interesting topic because I don't think anyone really talks about it other than just you know, just kind of like water cooler talk. But I do think it's a prevalent phenomenon, especially in America. And I think more than just midlife crisis, I think people of all ages, even our listeners go through existential crises of like contentment, anxiety of like, what am I doing? Am I in the right job? I want to start off with this. I guess because Jason just turned 40, Tom's about to turn 40 in a couple of days. um, Do either of you feel like, you are in a midlife crisis Uh, if so like what does that feel like Uh, if not do you foresee that happening i'm very curious um i hope i hope i ask that in all respect as a younger
2: co-host here too well i'm i'm less than two weeks in as a 40 year old so um this could change Mm. uh you know i'm I'm very much expecting to have a midlife crisis at some oh, really? point. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny, but like now, because I don't want to have a midlife crisis, I find myself questioning everything I do. Like during my thirties, I had thought about getting a tattoo for so long. Yeah. And then now that I'm 40, every time I think about getting a tattoo, I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm having a midlife crisis, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I'm questioning everything, but all that to say, yeah, like, um, I shared a little bit with our church actually today, um, that 40 was, it did feel like a huge milestone for me. And, Mm. you know, I actually did a lot of reflection and I have been doing a lot of reflecting and, um, I w I wouldn't say it's a full-blown midlife crisis, but I do kind of understand maybe where midlife crises come from, because there was something about turning 40 that gets you thinking a lot about kind of your 20s and your 30s and the time that has passed. It it has you reflect on like, things like, you know, are you where you thought you were going to be at this age? You know, did life turn out the way you thought? You know, I, I thought about myself as an early, you know, in my early 20s and all the different dreams I had and, um, you know, the, all the different things I had planned out for myself and all the things I thought would happen by certain ages. And I share with the church, you know, when I look back, some of those things happened, you know, I, and some of those things didn't happen. And in many ways, my life didn't turn out, um, exactly as I envisioned it. And I do think maybe that's sometimes a catalyst for a midlife crisis.
0: Hmm. Would you if if I told twenty year old Jason that forty year old Jason would be the lead pastor of a church in L A. Do you know what Jason, that
2: Jason would tell me? I I would have bet you a million dollars that I would not like that that would not be the case. I'm probably going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> he might see me with blonde
1: hair next time we we play. <laughs> That'd be awesome, man. Uh, I remember I heard a story. Someone told me, he said, um, I just remember he was saying, dude, midlife crisis is real. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm not sure if I told you guys a story already, but he said, like, he knows this guy who turned 40 and around that year, his wife called him He said, he's a pastor. And he's like, dude, I can't, she's like, I can't find my husband. He's just gone. He said, like, what are you talking about? Like, he never came home from work and he was missing literally for like two days, no phone call, nothing. And then randomly, like on a Saturday night, he came back, and she was like, "Where were you?" He's said, like, I, "I went to Mexico." She's <laughs> like, "What?" And it just—he just had to go, and it was like so bizarre, and he didn't know why. And that's, you know, the only explanation is like, "Oh, he's going through something." And so I, I almost feel like that was like my first introduction to like, "Oh, I guess like crisis—it's—it's it's real." And um, I, I almost feel like your your thirties and your forties. A lot of the pain and trauma that might, might have been like underneath starts to slowly leak and come mm. out and it becomes articulated. So I think that probably contributes it to a lot of it. Um, I think when you're in twenties your and thirties, you still think about potential and like goals, but now when you're like in your forties, it's like, oh, your potential is gone. <laughs> like It's now just reality. Mm. And so I think that's, it's almost like facing reality. That's might be like what the midlife crisis might be. If there is one. Um, and yeah, so I'm just kind of realizing that I know, I know one thing, this is just something that I've like a framework that I feel like is true for me and for a lot of people. And I said this to you guys before, I really think your twenties, you just don't know who you are. You're trying to figure it out. And in your thirties, you feel like you figured it out who you are. And then when you approach your forties, you realize, oh, that's not actually who you are. So Mm -hmm. it's almost this like reconstructing phase of your life that's there. Um, so that's been interesting to kind of sort that out. So I do feel like it's a lot of like reconstructing that's taking place, and it's it's I'm not sure how long it takes, but that's I could feel it already.
0: I mean, within that framework, would you say it almost seems like a midlife crisis is helpful uh, in a way where it kind of just grows you a little deeper, and it's
1: like the growing
0: pains. Would you agree with that?
1: It feels like in the M- you know in the NBA game. The first three quarters, you just take whatever shot you take. But that fourth quarter, not every shot counts a little bit more. Now mm. you see, like the time's about to run out, so you kind of pay attention a bit more to the fourth quarter. So I feel like, in some sense, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but you're just more
2: aware of the, 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 the clock ticking.
1: I see. I see. Hmm.
0: That's
2: that's so true. I I would say, especially in the past couple of years, so getting closer to forty, I think on some level, you know, you, you're still young, but I think that that time is a time when you start to be confronted a lot more with your mortality, you know, and the fragility of life. Cause I'm noticing like a lot of my, my peers, like a lot of our parents are now getting older. They're getting sick. Some of them have passed away. And I think we're just a lot more confronted with that reality. Like all the death that you hear about in your 20s and even in your early 30s, like a lot of those are more like, you know, tragedies or they were gone too soon. But I think as you near 40, a lot of the death is almost like you even take out all the kind of gone too soon tragic deaths. There's just like a cycle, a a generational cycle that takes place around that time that makes you a lot more aware of your fragility as a human being. And I think like Tom said, it makes you feel closer to death, you know, and maybe makes you feel like, um, like you're in that fourth quarter, you know? So, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, maybe when you're like in your seventies and eighties, you know, maybe at that point you're talking about like the final 10 seconds of the game, but, yeah, def- This kind of feels like the the dawn of the fourth, like the the buzzer for the fourth quarter. Just um, started. Yeah, just started. That's what it kind of feels like. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: mm, interesting.
2: Though, Finally, in I- so- though, in some ways, like you could make the argument that we're we're you know, for some of us, we're not even at the halfway point. Yeah, you know, you yeah. could make that argument, but it feels you feel a lot closer to death, maybe gotcha. than you are. Hmm. Mm.
0: That's interesting. So I, I did a lot of research on this because I'm 32, turning 33. But, I, you know, I was like, I'm always, I am, what year is this? Yeah, I'm turning 33 in oh November. My goodness, but sweet. people at my church think I'm 43 <laughs> because I have two kids. So shout out to True North. Um <laughs> Everyone that's new my the younger guys at my church always plays games like hey how old do you think Pastor Eugene is and they're always like oh he's got to be 40 and I'm like no I'm 33 but anyways besides <laughs> the, like, my goodness I just learned that
2: right now there you like, go. There at you this go. moment that you were 32 yes
0: yes so I'm my a little goodness. younger but I did my research um and there's something interesting I found and I want to know how much you guys relate to this there's like a, a guy named Frank Inferna. He's like an expert. He's, he's devoted his whole academic life to midlife crises. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting. He says it's a very uh particular American phenomenon mm-hmm. because often what happens is to Jason's point, 40 to you know, mid-40s to even uh early 50s, you get to a point where you start figuring out my parents are about to pass and I have to take care of that. And at the same time, I usually, in that age range, you have kids that are just about to go to high school or just having a major transition. Mm-hmm. And as you face those, and in America, there's no social structure to help either or. It's, you can throw money at it, but other than that, there's no government system that's going to help you. Hey, if your parent dies, we'll help you take care of all of this. Um, or daycare is affordable, so we'll help you with that. So he was mentioning how because of that, um, it creates just this huge existential crisis. It's not just the death that you see, but this new life that you're also responsible for as they're about to go to adulthood. Hmm. So I guess for you guys, like, how um, how has that been? Because as I'm getting a little older too, I'm just realizing my parents are having you know, health conditions. My dad had like a minor heart attack like uh, a year ago too. So even knowing that I need to start thinking about that too. But I guess for you guys, like especially like your families, your parents and your children, how have they contributed to that? Um, And how have you kind of managed that? Because I feel like that's so much stress, especially in that weird
1: tension age that you guys are at. I remember someone older than me was saying, oh, like your parents, like they're okay. But once they turn 80, Mm. things start to change. Mm. Like that's when you see health problems like rise like crazy. And I think when you kind of when I heard that, I was like, oh, so we have like less than 10 years before things start to happen to them physically. And I I think what it almost does is it makes you put aside all the criticisms and bitterness that you might have had as a child. And actually make you focus more on like the affirmations and appreciation that's there and the time you have left. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the biggest thing. It's kind mm-hmm. of bittersweet where mm-hmm. you're now noticing a lot of the good about your parents um, and realizing like it's a limited time now. So that's probably the main thing. It's just like this kind of low low key sadness that colors things, but also like a deeper appreciation. So that's probably mm-hmm. the main thing when it comes to family because yeah, it is sad recognizing that reality.
2: Yeah. I mean, same. And, you know, for, for me and Carol, um, you know, that reality has come sooner, you know, Carol lost her mom. It's, uh, to cancer. Um, it's been been several years now. My mom has cancer herself. And so that was a huge, that, that, that was a, that was like, yeah, it was, it was like a wrecking ball for our family. But in the same way that what Tom just said, though, I do tell people that in a in a strange way, um, my mom's diagnosis has, like, ever since her diagnosis, our relationship has never been better, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when your parents get to that place um, where, like, you can really see their fragility, I think it does change the way you interact with them, you think about them, the things that used to, like, mean so much, like matter so much to you, aren't that important anymore. Um, I, I guess the in the way that it connects to a midlife crisis though, um, I would say I do, I can definitely relate to what you said, Eugene. And I think so much of our time right now, um, especially if you have parents who are sick, is like you're kind of, so much of your life is taking care of other people right? Like they say that as your parents get older, they almost become a second set of kids now. Yeah. Um, and so some, like we're in this like interesting space where we, like we have young kids that we're taking care of. And then we have parents who have always historically been our parents, but now they're almost like kids too, that need to be taken care of, you know, their emotions need to be tended to, you know, you're kind of like, making sure like they're happy and um and so maybe there is this sense in which like what am i doing for myself you know mm-hmm. uh, who am i so much of my life is caring for all these people in my life and i wonder if that also mm-hmm. is connected to midlife crises
1: well, that reminds me of this paradigm that i'm reading from ronald Raheiser, where he says like there's three stages of growth there's or three struggles rather there's uh the first ones the struggle to get our lives together and that's just like building a career finding identity building a family and that's like your 20s early 30s some people actually they don't get that until like their 50s maybe but like there is that first phase that's there but in the majority phase is not it's the struggle to give our lives away like now that you have you built your life like the, the thing it's sad if you try to keep building your life it's like the mature maturity is now you're learning to give what you've gained to others and then the final stage is learning to give your death away which is an interesting topic that i don't think mm. a lot of us talk about but those are like the stages that are there and i feel like people who go through midlife or are in that mid-age it's that phase of like oh you're supposed to now give your life away mm. to those your kids to your friends to your parents and that's the transition that might be there that we're experiencing. Mm.
2: Mm. Yeah. And maybe like kind of maybe some of the things that are um, often stereotypically connected with a midlife crisis, like, you know, buying a sports car or like getting ripped, you know, whatever that may be, maybe in some sense, it's almost like grieving Mm. that like, this is the last time I can do something for myself. Or, yeah. you know, I can treat myself or do the things that I never got to do or I was always scared to do. Because maybe there is this sense in which, like, we know that's coming when we're now at this stage where, like, we have to just start giving our lives away, you know. And maybe it's kind of like our last ditch effort to hold mm-hmm. on to to ourselves, you know.
1: Yeah, that, that's funny you said that because Lena asked me, like, what do you want for your 40th birthday? And I was like, I think I, wanna, I want a new Xbox. <laughs> it's such a bizarre request and she's are like what like why do you want to do xbox and i told her i was like oh this would be the last game system i probably ever purchased in my life i can't imagine as a 60 year old like saying i want to you know what i mean yeah and yeah. there's something weird about that i'm like oh this might be the last thing that i ever like you know purchase in that category and so there is something kind of interesting about that where it, yeah it's like a sadness that might be there
0: to Tom's point like Rollheiser stages I think that come, what what book was that again Tom Holy Fire or uh, Sacred Fire Sacred Fire um, great book by the way if you haven't read it um, I guess to get more spiritual too yeah what do you feel like are is there anything in scripture that can help those in a midlife crisis or maybe just an existential crisis because I do think I'm sure there are younger listeners that also can relate that there is a moment maybe you are you just got your first job and you got your paycheck and you're like, wow, I have money and you're kind of, I don't know, a lot of people have talked about this, at least in my church, It's there's like a year or six months into your job, you like have money and you're kind of like, oh, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. So I guess to to those points, like, yeah, do you think scripture gives us any wisdom or guidance
1: in these crises? And if so, what does it say? And what are some principles we can draw out? I think so. And i think it does take putting the pieces of scripture together in a way that's a little bit more like jazzy um like an example is i remember when i first became a christian i think when a lot of people first become a christian when you read like philippians and you hear paul say for me to live is christ like to die is gain it's like yeah but you know do you really believe that like is that something that's like real to you and to be honest I, i don't think most christians really embrace that it's more just like this radical idea to like mobilize people but is that like really a reality that's taking place and then i kind of took a step back and think wait a minute like when did paul even say that he, he didn't say that in his early letters he said when he was in prison like when he thought he was going to die It was like that's, a, that's a, it's a it's a prison letter and even the way he wrote second timothy his last letter it's like it's such a interesting way that Paul's talking to Timothy in his last letter Mm. versus in his letters, like in Galatians where it was a lot of like doctrinal stuff. And again, I'm not saying that that wasn't, um, there for Paul, but the way he almost like writes and talks about his faith, I think there is some type of deeper maturation that's taking place. I feel like sometimes we think Paul was just like full blown, like Mm. for me to live as Christ dies game as soon as he became a Christian. But I actually think there was like this progression that was taking place in his life. Same with Peter. Peter was this hardcore follow you, Jesus, no matter what I, what you do, I will fight for you. I'm gonna kill these soldiers. He got super humbled. And then you see a totally different Peter in the book of acts. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you look at the lives of the writers of scriptures and the characters in scriptures, you actually see them not at this static moment, right? When they become a Christian or a follower of Christ, but there's this progression, this growth and you see like in their letters. And so I do think there is something to that where you see faith growing and maturing as you get older.
0: Mm.
2: I agree with that. You know, I think in some sense, um, so many of the truths of scripture actually become more beautiful, I think, as you get older, because so much of scripture points to um, the fact that it's in our weakness um, that, um, that Christ is magnified, right? You know, like, I think, like when in some ways, like, I'm thinking about me as like a 18 year old, you know, um, reading something like, you know, Second Corinthians 4, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're, we're being renewed day by day. You know, it's like, I'm not wasting away, you know, at 18. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still having, I'm not even close to my prime, you know, but I think like words like that have different weight You know, when you wake up in the morning and like your body hurts just because you slept slightly in an awkward, like in an awkward position, you know, like the last year I haven't done anything and my back just hurts for no reason in the morning, you know, and when you feel like your body getting weaker and when you feel the effects of aging and yeah, many ways, like when you're confronted with your fragility the words of scripture just carry that much more weight, you know, like blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Something as simple as that, right? As you get older, you just, you're just mourning more, you know, because you're seeing, you're, you're much more closer to death. You're seeing your, a lot of your loved ones pass. And so I do think in some ways you could say that scripture was written like for the weak, you know, and for the meek and the lowly. And, um, I do think aging Mm. has a way of really, um, bringing that out. Mm. Like the new age beatitudes, blessed are those in
0: (laughs) midlife crises. Um, no, I, that, I think that's helpful. I think Ecclesiastes for our time has like Mm. a lot of things that we need. Like, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, he just, you know, everything is heavy or meaningless or it's just basically smoke or vapor. Like, you can't grab it. When you see midlife crisis uh, or when you see it from someone, it's always like, well, if I just do this new thing that I could have done when I'm younger, I'll be satisfied. But you kind of realize, like, I don't know, like, I are you happy? Like, probably not. And I, I read something where it's, and it wasn't Christian, but I think it's very rooted in the truth, Ecclesiastes. Don't look for novelty, but look for the nuances of life. And I think that's very biblical, like, especially if you feel discontent, especially if you feel that age slipping and you see death kind of all around you, it's not time to just go buy a new sports car or whatever. And I'm not saying not to do that, like just live your life. But there's like this beauty you can have, especially when you're older, to look at the nuances of the ordinary that God speaks to you through. There's a point where like everything you do is like, oh, I've done everything. You have money, you have a house, and it's like, oh, it sucks. I have to maintain it. Like I have to pay mortgage and HOA and all this. And it's like, it's the, the answer is not to buy a bigger house and to buy a Tesla and to et cetera, et cetera. But I think to find the nuances of what God's given you. I feel like there's so much lacking, I guess, in that that we haven't explored. On that note, I guess one question I wanted to ask you guys is I think. The, the stream that we get is like there's this contentment that we're always striving for in life, and it just hits really heavy in that midlife era. And I guess the the question I have is like, how can we practically grow to be more deeply content with life as disciples of Jesus? Um, what does that look like? Because I do think that's you know Tom mentioned like to live is to Christ to die is to grain. Like practically. What does that look like for our listeners, our Asian American church goalers?
1: Well, I, I, I think what I could speak into is why it's like the challenge of that and this kind of goes back to like your earlier question, which is like is there something about our culture that makes you go through a midlife crisis? And this actually struck me when I was talking to this older guy. He was saying um, if you go to a lot of like these first gen like Korean churches or Asian churches, all the pastors look like so old. Even like though they're like they're thirty years old, they look like they're fifty because like they wear suits, like their hairstyle, and, and I'm like, dude, that's so true. Like I remember like meeting this KM pastor, and I thought he was like way older than me, but I was like ten years older than him. And I was like, well, yeah, I wonder why that is. Like, is it just like trauma, or like what what is it about them that looks like they're so old? And he was saying like, oh, it's because in a Asian context, uh, it's honorable to look old. Mm. It's actually a good thing to be old because then you're respected. But in our context, it's honorable to look young. Mm-hmm. That's like all the pastors, they try to like look young and it's kind of sad when you see these cool mega church <laughs> pastors, still trying to like, <laughs> hang on. You're like, man, just let it go. <laughs> like, Just put on that suit, dude. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like you're holding on to your youth and you're kind of like, cause that's what gains, that's what the culture wants. They want young, they, they honor young to age is actually seen as something that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like. Contentment, it's almost like embracing this new stage. It's Mm. embracing, it's almost like puberty. It's like, oh, this is God's biological way through puberty of having you become more independent. Like, there's a reason why teens are rebellious. It's almost like this biological way of, yeah, you're meant to now become more detached from your household. And even though that causes problems because they're living in your household, but it's because, you know, back then in the ancient world, when you're going through puberty, you actually got married and you lived off. We're in this weird stage where you live a long time in the same household with your parents. And it's just not maybe the natural way of how things were. And I think similarly, when you're aging, it's almost like this biological signage of like, oh yeah, this is a new stage of life and almost embracing that rather than trying to hold on to that previous stage. And I think the quicker you're able to do that, the more easily you're able to become content. I think that's what the challenge is, is we all desire just to stay young because we live in a culture that honors and prioritizes youth. Hmm
0: it's almost like you're saying bluntly like hey you tell your kids to grow up and for a lot of these like you know younger but kind of getting older parents like you got to grow up too like you you can't do the same things that you did and then you're you're trying so hard to do so We just got to emotionally and circumstantially grow up is that is that too harsh or you feel like I'm kind
1: of, I mean, it, and it starts like in certain things, like reality just hits you. Like you could try your best to like play sports. The reality will hit you when you tear your Achilles. <laughs> like, dude, you, you got to, you have to let that go. And I think uh, other things you could just try to hide more, like, again, like your looks and mm-hmm. your lifestyle, but, you know, at one point it just catches up. Reality will hit you.
2: Yeah. I mean, and, and to Tom's point, it's so true. Like, I, I think, um, in our churches, like you. Even in our churches, you know, like we've kind of adopted the way of our culture in that we definitely um, elevate youth and we idolize youth. Um, and I remember John Tyson, he had, uh, I, I'm actually, I was looking for it the other day, but he actually sent out in one of his mailing list blasts something about the need for elders um, in the church and why it's so important, I think, to. Um, honor and also seek out the wisdom of elders in the church because it's actually one way to resist like the idolization of youth you know and if you have kind of a healthy culture of of elders being able to impart their wisdom i think it also gives people a sense in which like oh i want to i want to be like that you know um it gives uh, people a path like something to look forward to that they actually have it empowers people to embrace their experiences, not see their age as a crutch, but see their age and and their life experiences as actually an opportunity to invest and pour into the next generation. Um, and so, I do feel like we need to ch- kind of shift that culture in the church as well. And I would say, in all of our cult- in all of our churches, we don't really have that many like elders, you know all of our churches are fairly young Um, and I I could see that being a recipe for even greater midlife crises because you're like, there's nobody ahead of me here that I can even look forward to or like look up to or like model the rest of my life after. So I'm just going to try to like stay as young as possible and be like everyone else at the church. But I think if you have kind of a, a healthy population of elders Uh, in your community and in your congregation. Like, I do think that will help people in that midlife age to be like, oh, there's something I can aspire to, you know?
0: And as I was doing my research, one of the things that was podcast was talking about was, you know, uh, a lot of these older millennials um, will always bag on these younger Gen Z, like you guys are on socials and media, like social media way too much. But the, the author of this, like, article is mentioning, like, one, m- like, if you think midlife prices were bad for, like, boomers, like, wait till millennials hit it. Because that they're going to, like, collapse, right? and But also, he was just talking about how, like, uh, research has shown middle-aged people and especially older millennials have spent as much time on social media as Gen Z. And he was talking about how... Um, <laughs> It was really funny. The author mentioned, you probably have seen more attractive people 30 seconds on your feed than 10 lines of your ancestors have seen in their whole lifetime, right? Because they only had like the village people. And it's like, that stuff messes you up, you know? Because if That's you only true. see average to ugly around you, you're like, oh, I'm okay, you know? But if you see, you know, manicured, AI generated, like perfect bodies, you're like,
1: so oh, someone, someone struggling with lust at your church, have empathy, yeah. <laughs> <That's a> diff- <laughs> tough times we live in.
0: I, I think, so. I mean, we bag on it a lot, but it's just social media. It's just, I don't think it's a middle-life crisis or any type of crisis and, and social media just does not mix well. And anything else to add on just like, you know, practical advice. I do have one last question I want to ask um, that I think
1: no one has really asked for the church. Are you sad, Jason? Or are you more sad?
2: Uh it's weird. I I was really I will admit that I was really dreading turning 40. Like mm. I think I think I was more sad like going into 40 than I feel now that I am 40, you know. Mm. Um yeah, like I was hanging on to 39. I was, you know, I tried my best to like do as many surveys as as I could last year, you know, that allowed me to st- to be 39 and remind myself that I'm still 39. Um, but no, but I, I mean, like, I think reflecting, especially the past few days, I'm, I am so grateful, you know, for where I am today. And, and you know, I think it's been, a, the last couple of weeks have been a really great opportunity for me to even just spend time in gratitude um, for the ways that, god has sustained me and my family and um mm. brought me to this point i think you mm. do have a lot of those kinds of thoughts mm. yeah. you
1: know what's sad is when like i go to the market and i buy like a bottle of wine and i take <laughs> up my driver's license getting ready for them to card me and they don't ask me for my identification <laughs> i'm like man and the one time someone did ask me, the one time someone said, hey, can I see your driver's license? I remember he saw it and he was like, damn, you're 40? <laughs> and I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, so, yeah, ha-
2: yeah, like how you feel, like how happy you feel when somebody thinks you're really young tells you how old you actually <laughs> are, you know? <laughs>
1: or you know what's funny is like, I, I have a bunch of people at church turning 30 and they feel old because they're turning 30. Yes. And I realized, oh, when you turn 30, you feel old but you kind of, you kind of like joke about it like oh we're so old when you're 40 like you don't joke about it anymore like it's not funny it's like oh you're yeah you're old
2: no exactly like everyone's been telling me don't worry like 40 is the new 30 i'm like nah that's what you said <laughs> like when I, you know <laughs> i'm going to be like 60 they're going to be like don't worry 60 is <laughs> the new 50 um
0: do do you guys feel like um being you know I know it's just turning 40. So, you know, it's not, you know, still young spirit for both of you. But do you feel like the crisis and the existential, you know, anxiety that you feel, has that also changed how you do ministry and church and lead people and, you know, pastor them? I'm curious about that too. because You know, when you're younger, it's just like, oh, just read the right books, preach well, don't cheat on your wife and your ministry will be so successful. But for you guys, if after going through the whole gamut and now that you're having that crisis, yeah. What, what changes to ministry and pastoring have you seen?
1: The only thing I could think of, I mean, there, there, it has changed. Like general things, like you kind of slow down. I feel like you're able to like empathize more easily. Surprisingly, I'm surprised how I can empathize more easily with people's like petty hmm. problems. It's like, oh, I, I understand it actually in a deeper way. Um, probably the biggest thing though is I feel like, I'm not sure if you're like this, Jason. I feel like in my 20s and early 30s. And I think I see this in other pastors, it's very like, you know, mission, let's be on mission, let's go and like do things. And that's kind of like this rally kind of spirit that's there when you pastor. Because I feel like now maybe because of all the things you see of how people's lives turned out and what happened, it's almost like, oh, I'm not like pastoring you to like do something like great or big. I'm almost like helping you prepare to die. It's like this, it's kind of morbid, but you kind of see like this long view of things where you you don't just envision like their 20-year-old, 30-year-old self, but you're envisioning like their 60, 70-year-old mm. self. And are you setting them up well to meet the Lord? And so that's it's different in that way. I think you almost have this like full map of like the the, the geography of life. versus before, I think it was like just very short-sighted. So you just kind of went hardcore. So that's probably like, one big shift I noticed. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's it, especially when it comes to ministry, I, I do feel like I'm in an interesting place that's different from um a lot of my peers. In that, um, like, it's both a good thing and a bad thing in that I, I came into ministry so late in life. You know, I, like, I, I only became a pastor, um, you know, when I was 36. So it's like, you know, I, compared to someone who's been doing this for, you know, like right out of college, went to seminary, became a youth pastor. I've been doing this for twenty years. Um, in some ways, like I feel like I'm, like I'm old, and like I, you know, I should know more, and I should, you know. But in many ways, I feel like I'm still a rookie, and I'm still learning. And why I say that's both a good and bad thing. I guess on one side, it gives me a lot of like imposter syndrome sometimes where like, I feel like, man, I should be, you know, I feel like I'm fooling people because I'm 40. So I think they assume that I know a lot more than I actually do. But where I would say um, it's a really good thing is that I do think sometimes maybe this is the time when people stop learning and stop being curious. Um, Whereas I feel like um, I'm just starting to learn. And I still do have that Curiosity and I'm very hungry to learn more. Um, partly because I feel like I'm so new at this. So I I right now I, I would say that I'm in that interesting stage in ministry.
0: Last question to end with this. Um uh, I think you know, there's there's been always hype on the next generation, Gen Z, I think polars, as as Tom mentioned beforehand, like there's all these like think pieces on like how can the church better serve the upcoming generations, which is really important. Um, But I don't think there's ever any like hot think piece from, you know, a website about how do you serve those that are in their 40s, that are in their 50s, Mm. um, that are nearing retirement. And yeah, I don't know. I I guess for you guys, as you guys are turning 40, how do you feel like the church can better serve those 40 plus? Because the Tom mentioned, it seems like because we're such young people and our culture is young. So much of our faith has been set up to act like you're 20 forever. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do those things that you could do when you're 20, then maybe the the implication is like, oh, you're not being a good disciple. How can we better help serve those 40 plus uh, going through midlife crisis? What can we do as a church and body to help them?
2: I think a big thing um, I would say is um, that I, I don't think the church does um, well is empower this group of people to really um, lead and to mentor and to invest and to use kind of all the experiences and expertise and knowledge that they have. In, In a weird way, this group, oftentimes, this group in their 40s, sometimes can be one of the most disempowered groups in the church, where like, I think a lot of pastors kind of write this group off. Like they're like, ah, oh, they're too busy raising their kids. You know, um, we got to really invest in in the young people who can provide like, now like this group becomes like basically the group that is just tithing. And, you know, they're just kind of coming on Sundays and you need them, but you're not really um, releasing them to, to do the work of ministry. Um, but I find that like sometimes... Um, when you empower them and when you give them a vision for how they could use their life to serve others, um, even if it's you give them opportunity to um, lead community groups or, you know, you train them and yeah, um, you know, um, kind of entrust younger people in their care. I think a lot of these things can actually empower this group and give this give that stage of life so much more vibrancy, and life and energy, and it it can actually rejuvenate, I think, a lot of people in that life stage. And so
1: yeah, I mean, I think uh, our culture does a good job training you to build your life. But we have no like tools of like how to give your life away and how to give your death away. And one thing that I read recently that I'm like, oh, that's an interesting point is, um, like Jesus is life. The first half of his life or ministry, it was all like activity, miracles, you know, doing healing and so forth. But like the final part of his life was like passivity. He was silent. He was led, he was led to be, uh, to the courts. He was crucified. Hmm. And he was kind of alluding that that's kind of like how like human beings are like activity, you do things, and we value that. And we, we're in a culture that values utility. But There's actually a lot of it where it's just your presence is actually a blessing to people. Mm. And I think at a certain age, like I remember I used to hear like, oh, like the older people, they don't do anything like they don't join the church programs and so forth. And I think it's not because they're not spiritual. It's like they're just at a different stage in life where they're not you know, it could be that they're older, they just don't have as much energy or time. Um, but it's also like there's a, they offer a different gift to the church and again it could be activity and doesn't mean they don't do anything but i feel like at the very least one thing that's really powerful is just their presence in that place their availability to people and i feel like even just valuing that like having a seven-year-old in your congregation they're probably not gonna be leading like your mission teams like i'm not sure if that's going to be the norm Mm -hmm. um, but their presence in the community it just does something to really shape the character of the church and just even having access to that person and so Seeing the value of people who are older and not seeing it just through utility, but mm. seeing it in just the wisdom, the presence that are there, and I feel like the church recognizing that because yeah, it's not like we're all going to be twenty year olds forever, and just recognizing that yeah, we're all in different places and we offer different different gifts and different blessings at different stages.
0: That's a great way to end. So if you're listening, I don't. I checked our stats. But those for listeners are like from twenty three to, I think like. 35 so but if you are for over 40 and listening we appreciate you uh, it's all downhill from there guys <laughs> 20 to 30 year olds <laughs> and yeah if you're younger hope this helps uh, to prepare you for what's coming because uh, life life gets hard but Jesus is good so it'll be okay um, but yeah hope that was helpful we just want to do a more laid back episode just talking about that so thanks for listening uh, again as usual uh, we have a lot of episodes coming up interviews coming up uh, so just keep an eye on that. But we're so thankful for all of you who support us. If you could give us any feedback, we'd appreciate it. But other than that, thanks for listening. Hope you're blessed. Hope to see you in our next episode.